This is a podcast from Hope Church Gainsborough. For more information, visit www.hopechurchgainsborough.co.uk. I wonder if you can just cast your minds back just to last week, if you were about, that um, last Sunday we looked at being more like Jesus. We looked at having more joy or having joy even when the situation or the circumstance might not be so joyful. We saw that it wasn't based on our circumstances. Our joy is not based there, but rather our joy is based on our firm, unshakable foundation and future. That our names, as the Bible told us, because we've accepted Christ as our saviour, are written in heaven. Amen? That's where our joy is based. It's not based here in the immediate, because sometimes in the immediate, the situations that surround us aren't quite as happy as we'd like them to be. And we saw that Jesus wasn't always happy, yet it didn't affect his joy. And the same with us as his children that we can find ourselves in a myriad of situations and circumstances, but our joy is not to be affected. Our joy is to be steadfast and sure, rooted in something far bigger and better. Our names are written in heaven, and that is joyful. And this week, um, we're going to have a look at John chapter 4. Now, that's going to mean that I'm going to have to read it to you. I'll try and be as, um, uh, as, as enthusiastic as possible. There's a few verses um, please don't uh, get bored of my dulcet, dreary tone. <laughs> I'll, tr- I'll try and read it as though I was reading to my boys going to bed. I probably shouldn't do that, actually. Not because you'll fall asleep, but because you'll realize that everybody has to have their own voice. You know, I, anybody else do that? So when you're reading the story, I have to be all the characters. It's tiring. I feel like I have to do homework on a book before I read it to my kids so that I know where the characters come in. Else otherwise, you can make a big mistake and then they're looking at you like that going, that weren't him though, were it? (laughs) Very perceptive, these kids nowadays. So let's just have a look at John chapter 4. And this is Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. It says, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now they're uh, a few miles apart. Judea's down here, Galilee's up here, and Samaria is in between. Not Samaria, but Samaria is in between. Um, So that we have to just keep in our minds because there's an interesting thing that happens here. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. It's the only place in scripture where that's mentioned. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, you find that interesting? Jesus got tired. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was hot. About midday. Very warm. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. She's perceptive. And I am a Samaritan woman. She probably said that together. 
how can you ask me for a drink? And it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Seems like a sensible question. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. And this is where he cuts through everything. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, her tone's changed, the woman said. I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you, uh, we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. She has some knowledge, you see. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared this to her. He says, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, remember that's what she'd come for, to the well. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi or teacher, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And I love the humanity of the disciples here. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have bought him food? We've just been to town. Blooming heck is what it had been there if they were from Yorkshire. Then his disciples said to each other, that's, they've said that, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more, do you not say four months more than the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the same one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, we know she said to them. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. 
And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What an incredible story. And apologies if I didn't read it clear enough for you to grasp the whole thing. Um, This story really opens up for us something um, that perhaps we can skip over. Perhaps we've read it before. Perhaps we've seen it before. But it's Jesus made a specific headway to make this happen, to, to happen upon, if you like, this Samaritan woman. Jesus set out to go and meet her. He spoke truth and life to her, and the key was his love towards her and her people. And Jesus cut through all the hurt and all the anger and all the disappointment to show love to this woman. And because of that, she and many others found life. So let's pray this morning and let's just ask the Lord that he might open up our hearts and our minds as we look into what this has got to say to us. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, that it's just so revealing to us of the humanity of Christ. But Father, his whole nature is you. And Father, we just praise you that he was fully man yet fully God. And in his obedience was willing to go to the places that nobody else was willing to go. To go and have the conversations that people weren't willing to have. And this morning we just pray that you might help us. You might open up our hearts and our minds. That we might see all that this story has got for us to see. And that we might learn from it. That we might grow from it. And that we might become more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So bless us now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed um, in this passage that Jesus, it says, he was heading up to Galilee from Judea in John 4 and verse 4. Uh, and it says he had to go through Samaria. You, you, you can miss it if you don't see it. Now he had to go through Samaria, verse 4. The truth is he didn't have to go through Samaria at all. The geography states that it looks as though he has to go through Samaria. But the truth is, what always happened in this time is that the Jews would cross over the river and take themselves around Samaria because the Samaritans were dirty, unclean. They weren't a people that the Jews associated with. They were nobodies and nothings and nobody wanted anything to do with them. He didn't have to go through Samaria at all, but he had to go through Samaria. And he had to go through Samaria because he needed to have this appointment, this divine appointment with this woman who found herself in the heat of the day going to draw water. And as Jesus makes his way to her, we start to unlock the hurt and the anguish that would have been between these two peoples the Jews and the Samaritans. You'll remember the story about the good Samaritan as Jesus talked into this hostility. And Jesus had to go. And I believe as we look into this and as we unlock a little bit more about who Jesus is and how we live more like him, is that love drove him. Love was the vehicle that drove him to Samaria. His mission the being on mission for his father, that he had to go. 
He had to go. And you know, Paul talks into this, into the, uh, to the New Testament church, into you and I today, all those churches all that time ago, still relevant to us this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, if you've got your Bibles, just turn to it. Alistair will pop it up on screen. But as, uh, as Paul talks into this, he says this, that for the love of Christ compels us. Now, I'm not just plucking that verse out there. What he's saying is, and what he's unlocking for us is, that the love of Christ compels us. As we allow love to do what love does, that it compels us to do his work. It, it isn't because I have to. It isn't because that's necessary if I want to rise up the ladder so that I can be top dog. No, what it is, is rather that we do it because Christ's love compels us. That Christ first loved me, Christ first loved you, so therefore that overflows from us and we can love others. And the love of Christ compels us to do his work. It compels us to push forward, not for any gain of our own, because the truth is this, that within the the context that we know and understand, if we were going by human standards, the reward isn't great. Often when we tell people about Christ, we can be ostracized, we can be set aside. I don't want anything to do with you, you weirdo. People do say to them, they say that to me regardless, but that, that is what it is. But people will probably have an opinion on where we stand. Oh, you, you've got to have the crutch of Christ, have you, to lean on. You can't stand on your own two feet. They're missing the point. And the truth for, for you and I today, that regardless of how it's received, that we still tell people. And I think that's a really big lesson for us because we can easily get caught up in what we have to do and we're not doing it because we want to do. And if the heart is as such that we want to do it, that the love of Christ compels us, that I have to go, the heart of Christ, that I have to go, then that changes everything. As we allow his love for us flow through us and overflow from us, I believe, as the uh, the word tells us, that we can start to do the impossible. We can reach the unreachable. And literally, we make every effort to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And I wonder this morning whether you have a people group that you might think are the Samaritans. Whether you've got people in your life or a people group in your life, and you, you don't need to admit that to me. Remember, the Lord knows the heart. Be honest with yourself. Are there people that you don't go to or talk to because we're worlds apart? I could never talk to them. That's so rude. I don't want to talk to them. And to be honest, they're so loud I can't get a word in edgeways anyway. I I feel like I've referred to myself twice there. (laughs) But there are people, aren't there? If we think about it and we allow ourselves to be real, that can easily become the Samaritans in our life where we're not going to talk to them. They're a people group or a, a person that I could never talk to, I could never get on with, I could never share the good news with because... They're not for me. And I wonder if we allow the word to shape us and have a deep, hard look at our own lives and see if there are subtleties that are there that perhaps we haven't spotted or we have, but we cover over them.
Jesus goes on and he breaks more religious rules back in John chapter 4. He breaks more religious rules. Jesus was a rule breaker. Anybody ever thought of that before? The Jewish culture, the Jewish society, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law had got all these rules and regulations and Jesus plows through the lot of them because they're nonsense. Um, there's a series, I, I don't know whether I mentioned it before, but uh, by Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church. Um, you can download the podcast, really good. In fact, don't download it for a few weeks. Wait till you've listened to my message. But <laughs> And then he's copied me. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. But he, he's done a series called Savage Jesus, and it's absolutely fantastic because we think of Jesus, we've said before, with this halo on and he could do no wrong. Now, the truth is, in the world's eyes, he was like just walking over laws, walking over what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And he was having none of that nonsense. And here he breaks some more religious rules. And you say, well, how did he do such a thing? Well, he asked the woman for water. First of all, anything that a Samaritan has touched is unclean. And he asks a woman, rabbis don't do that. He asks a woman for water, they don't do that. He's breaking rules everywhere at every turn and he has to because if he doesn't, she doesn't get the opportunity at life. Jesus knows her, he knows her story and he has to get straight to the woman's heart. So in order to do that, he has to break down some barriers with her. And he does that straight away. Because already she can see, well, first of all, he's talking to me. That's not done. Second of all, he's a Jew and he's talking to a Samaritan. That's not done. Thirdly, there are things he shouldn't be asking me to do, like draw water for him, because I know that he knows that this is unclean if I've touched it. So there he's breaking that down as well. And when he starts to break that down, he then is able to ask her and to tell her things that she didn't believe he knew. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty in verse 15 and have to keep coming here to draw water. She was looking for the practical element. Jesus was talking about her heart. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Ouch. And she replies in honesty. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is that you've had five husbands and the man that you're now with is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now at that, can you imagine her heart? Can you imagine? I mean, you would just be in cold sweat, wouldn't you? You'd be petrified. Like, how on earth do you know that? Who have you been talking to? Who are you? And she says this, verse 19, and and the first word that comes out of her her mouth sort of tells me that she's grasping something. Sir, the woman said, "I, I can see that you're a prophet. She's panicking. She's thinking, how can he possibly know? And I wonder this morning, like this woman who finds herself in a situation confronted by uh, the Messiah, I wonder whether she thought, as I'm sure she did, feel like she was not good enough. She is in a position where she knows she's not good enough. How do we know she knows she's not good enough? Well, first of all, she's drawing water in the heat of the day. You wouldn't do that. You would draw it late at night or very early in the morning. Why? Why? Well, so that you don't dehydrate on your way to fetching water. 
She was in a position where she wanted to go somewhere where nobody else was. She didn't want to be laughed at, to be ridiculed, to have the snide comment. She didn't want any of that. So she'd gone in the quietest part of the day, which was the hottest part of the day, to stay out of everybody's way. She knew in her people's eyes, in the world's eyes, she wasn't good enough. And I wonder whether you feel the same. Do you feel sometimes that you're not good enough? And you think, well, Lord, how could you possibly love me? I've done nothing to do anything in goodness for you. And I wonder, how can you possibly love me? But I wonder if if the question isn't, Lord, I feel like I'm not good enough. But rather the question is, Lord, I know I'm not good enough. Why do you love me? Why? How? Is it possible? You see, in this situation, Jesus cuts through the nonsense with the woman in order to show her what? Judgment? No. In order to make her feel bad? No. Rather to show her that she is loved and that the Messiah would take time out of his day to go and see her. She would think she's the last person on planet Earth that that would happen to. Yet by God's grace, that's exactly what happens. As Jesus has shared good news with her and has loved her, that's prompted a response from this woman, an outcast, a woman who, as we've said, would fetch water in the heat of the day to avoid the dirty looks and the snide comments. She's so amazed, she's so overwhelmed that the love that he's shown to her, that she leaves what she came for. Have you noticed that before in verse 28? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people. A couple of things there. One, she leaves her water behind. And two, this is a woman who's excommunicated herself. She's gone in the heat of the day because she wants to avoid talking to people. Yet here she is going back to town and telling people that something's happened. Here's a woman who is an outcast in their eyes, but she has gone and done because she is so overwhelmed by the love that Christ has shown to her. And she wants to tell everybody about Jesus. And her testimony, um, if you've ever been to a baptismal service, when people say about how they got saved or you've ever heard anybody's testimony given, her testimony that says, look, this guy knows everything about me. He knows the ins and outs he knows the bits that I don't like to share I haven't shared anything with him I don't believe anybody else has shared anything with him yet he knows and here I am at my all before him and he still seems to love me it's really odd he's told me about this living water and I've got to come tell you about it because it's incredible and she doesn't hold back and because of her testimony because of that it's so effective it says that many Samaritans from that town believed. And we see that in verse 39. Because of the woman's testimony. The love of Christ compelled her. It overflowed from her to an unreachable people and they were reached. Think about it. Often when we think about those people that we don't think that we'll ever get an audience with or we could never get an audience with, we only need one. We only need one. 
He says Jesus had to go to Samaria and he had to go because that woman was going to be there and he had to tell her the good news. He had to cut through the nonsense, break down the the barriers that were there and he had to love her. And when he did love her, she then went and told. And this is the key church because often we think we've got to reach 10,000 people that are unreachable and the Bible tells us we've got to reach the one. And when the one is reached, then the Lord will do the rest. Amen? And that's what we have to live our lives like, to say, okay, I'm in it. I don't know what it looks like. They're unreachable as far as I'm concerned, but Lord, send me. Send me. The love of Christ compelled her to go and do what needed to be done. And we have to believe that God can work through us in the same way, as we love, as we're bold for him. So many different uh, communities that perhaps as Christians we see are unreachable. I got to meet a guy um, a week or so before camp who is a missionary in Birmingham. Think about that. He's a Christian missionary in Birmingham and he speaks to Muslims on a daily basis, telling them about Jesus and he lets them share their faith with him and then he shows them why the word shows them that Christ is the only way. And he spent his entire life giving to a community that we would think are unreachable. Maybe the Roman Catholics, maybe the Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe the drug user, maybe the prostitute. These are so many areas, so many things that we think are impossible for us to even get into or to go and talk to. But Christ is able. And if we are willing, then he will use us. If we're bold, if we're brave, And if we love, then we can expect that God will do his work, that God will soften hearts and he will open ears. We've seen blessing in areas in people that we never thought possible, haven't we? Do you know what? It's not many days away now and we'll be eight years old. And I find that unfathomable. And most of you weren't here eight years ago. And there are a lot of people that are at other churches and that have moved to different places that are doing what the Lord has called them to do. This little place, we're a little bit bigger square footage than we used to be, but this little place is having an effect, it's having an impact. And lives are being changed. That's not because of me or because of you. That's because we're saying to Christ, we're ready. We're ready. We might not be able. We might not be the best at it. We might not look the best at doing it, but we're here. The most incredible thing is that God has used us as a church and he will continue to use us as a church if we're faithful to what he's called us to do. And if God is and does as his word says, and I have no reason to doubt him yet, I've never seen a promise broken yet, then he says he will build his church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. Amen. We want more love and we want to be more like him. Let's pray and then we'll close in worship together. Lord, we just want to thank you again for your word this morning that we've seen that we have the opportunity to love more in situations and people groups that, Father, we maybe think that we can't even go into. That, Father, that as we see here as your son, the Lord Jesus, dealt with the woman from Samaria, that, Father, you spoke through him, you used him. And he was obedient. And Lord, as the word tells us that he had to go. 
Father, may you just help us to be people on mission that we have to go, that we have to do, that we have to say, regardless of the implications that that brings about, but that, Father God, we are steadfast to your word. And that, Father, through all of what we do, we bring it in love. Father, your word tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, love never fails. Help us, strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast by Hope Church Gainsborough. For more information, visit www.hopechurchgainsborough.co.uk.